Tyler has this look. You know, he he looks at me and it's like, you know what I'm thinking, right? <laughs> and then in his head, he's like, and I can't say that. So let me reframe it before it comes out of his mouth. You are super great. It's it's the pause. I've mastered the pause. You, you have mastered the pause. Welcome to my home. You mean my home. It's neither of our homes. But it is our podcast. Glitter and gay. Coming your way. So thanks for tuning in today. We've developed this kind of connection Mm -hmm. that when somebody says something to you and you're you're in 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 your it's the look like they've obviously lost their fucking mind. (laughs) Like like I can see it. Like you look at me and it's it's almost like you just zip your mouth. And then you turn around and filter a response. And it's the most interesting thing. And now that I've picked up on it, I've seen you do it in real life. Like, like outside of our little, you know, bubble, you know, because we were at an event today and it, it is so interesting. I love it. (laughs) So the pause, tell us about the pause. The the pause is something that I had to learn in real estate because I I was quick to and I actually loved it thinking that like I was I was quick to fire back. Do not take me for granted. Like, do not think that just because I'm this fun, loving, playful kid that you're going to be able to walk me walk all over me and eat me for lunch. And so the second somebody poked me, I came back breathing fire. And I was like, and it usually surprised them because they're like, who, where where the hell did that come from? And I did it over email a few times. I always remember specifically, and I'm actually friendly with these agents now. And at the, they are now maybe the most successful team in the city. At this time, they were still kind of like up and coming. And I had sent out like a mass marketing email on one of my listings. And one of their team members responded, I can't remember what he said, but it was something snarky about the listing and about the email that I sent out. And he just responded to me. And so I responded and copied his entire team and, and just like, let him have it. And then 10 minutes later, I was like, Oh, I was like, what the hell did I just do? I was like, that was such an overreaction. I was mm-hmm. like, this kid just sent me like a snarky little thing. And I like copied in his bosses and was like, and, and just like let it rip. And of course, in that moment, you know, hindsight, I was like, oh, wait, I was the asshole there. Right. Like that my reaction made me the I was the culprit in the end. Um, and I have thousands of little moments like that personally and professionally and in sobriety. I really learned that my brain plays tricks on me. My brain goes to that fearful place of somebody's attacking you, somebody protect yourself, somebody's taking advantage, you know, somebody. And then I realized like a lot of times those thoughts aren't true or, or I'm misinterpreting something. And so I do pause now. And sometimes I pause for a long time. You catch it whenever I pause for the moment. Cause I just need to be like, wait a second. And then sometimes something might offend me, might be like a little out of line. And I can respond in a way that for me, A, kind of like communicates a boundary, but B, keeps the situation light. And we can all just like proceed. Were you communicating a boundary when I wanted to be in the center? 
Um, <laughs> no, because like there are certain people like you who I'm just very comfortable with. Like I could totally just be whatever, whatever's coming out. I'm like, oh, if I need to apologize later, it'll be fine. <laughs> like if I, if I like 10 minutes later, I'm sitting there, I'm like, oh, I was, I was not on my best behavior in that moment. You're the kind of friend that I know I can come back and say that. And you'd be like, I get it. You know, I hope my daughter's listening to this episode because Victoria has very much that blowfish reaction. Do you know what a blowfish is? I, I, I the actual blowfish. Yeah, yeah. Like whenever they feel attacked, they, they puff up they and their spikes come out. Yeah, yeah. They porcupine up. And so Victoria, Victoria never attacks first. Like she, she, that's just not her kind of like MO. But if she feels attacked and it's just not if she's being attacked, but if she feels attacked, she will literally cut you to pieces. I mean, she comes out like a blowfish. It's just crazy. And so I said to her the other day, I've never seen you go on the attack unless you feel like you've been attacked. And I would just encourage you to take a deep breath and try and understand where the feeling is coming from. Because I, I, I'm i a big uh, proponent of your perception is your reality. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I know, just speaking for myself, that, you know, sometimes the craziest places in my own head and whatever I think is not exactly what people meant, what someone meant. So I definitely have to check myself. But I would just encourage people. And I think that it's, and we're kind of talking a little bit about fear. I think we, we, by the way, have beautifully gotten into fear organically. Yeah. Yeah. Which which I love. And yesterday you were talking about, you know, I don't think that we ping ponged enough. I don't, I think your turn, my turn. There were a couple of of episodes that kind of felt a little bit, uh, you know, unbalanced or something. And I remember you saying that and, you know, there's like this respect, like, let me, like, let me let him finish his thought because I am so like conscientious of, no, no, no listen, listen, Mm -hmm. listen to what they're saying. Like, cause a lot of people like in their head, they're like, okay, as soon as he finishes, I'm going to say this. Right. And I, I want to take in like the feeling and the meaning of what you're saying and where you are so I can respond appropriately. So it's, it's funny. Sometimes I'll be listening so intently that especially today when we were being asked a question, I was listening so intently to um, Michelle's answer that... We loved Michelle. O-M-S. He, he's fabulous. He was a gem. I, yeah. I, I, that was the first time I'd met him, obviously. I feel like he could be our friend. Oh. For sure. Oh. Yeah, I don't know. I just started to say glitter, gay, and... But I can't think of another. G. The podcast is a duo, but we'll. Oh, <laughs> but, he, oh, but he oh, can come to dinner oh, or something. Yeah, no, 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 no. Yeah, there, there is no third party. There's no, no third wheel to glitter. No. Gay. But I really, I did, I did like him so much. But anyway, me too. So I was thinking a lot. I was listening so intently to his answers 
because he's so articulate. Mm -hmm. And so anyway, back to where I was going, blah, 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 was I think that it is our own fears that trigger certain responses. So that's kind of where I was going with that. Well, speaking of fears, you know, when I think of you and we're going to talk about fear and accepting change because fears revolve around certain things, but I do think change is a big trigger of fear. And when actually, when I first got sober, a saying that I used to hear in sobriety was that everybody at the root has the same fear of losing what they have and never getting what they want. And a lot of times that's like what it boils down to. That said, when I think of you, and I hope you take this as a compliment, you, the way you present yourself, both in our friendship, the way I watch you put yourself out there, the way I see you introduce yourself to every single person you meet, the way I see you just show up as you are, no matter what, you have this quality about you that has made me believe that you are a, I would say, damn near fearless woman. Is that your reality? Like, are you as fearless as you've convinced me you are? I would say I am completely fearless from the perspective that no one holds my destiny except me. I... And I and I, I want to be conscientious of of how I say this. I feel like I am invincible to the outside world, and that's not me being a narcissist. That is me being so aware of where I am in my life. I'm so aware of my flaws and my faults and where I can improve that if you're not going to be my friend, that doesn't scare me. If you're not going to list your house with me, that doesn't scare me. If you don't like me, that doesn't scare me. If you took away everything that I had, that doesn't scare me. Um, so I know that I control my destiny and my thoughts, period. Mm -hmm. So I, I don't have that kind of fear, but I lived with the fear that you're talking about for so many years. You know, what's funny is like, while that's not my story, I feel pretty similarly because especially when I was living in my darkness, my fear was I'm, I'm never going to get these, you know, I live in fantasy land. I'm always thinking and still, even though I've had like all these dreams come true. Now my dreams have gotten bigger. You know, it's not like I was like, well, check, check, check. I can die now. I'm like, well, I was like, now I've proven I can do this. Now I want to do X, Y, and Z. And so, but when I was living in the darkest days, when I was at my heaviest, when I had no money, when I had no friends, when I was living in addiction and, you know, and I remember I had debt collectors calling me constantly and that triggered the fear of I'm going to lose what I have. Like they're coming for what I have and, and I'm so far gone. I'm never going to get what I want. 
And that literally consumed my life. I think, I believe now on the other side of it, that that was a huge reason that I was obese and that I had gone, you know, in my early twenties, I was like 300 pounds. By the time I was in my late twenties, I was 400 pounds. And I think, so I had always been big, but I think that last hundred pound gain was because I was living in the deepest, darkest fear. I took some steps. I made some changes <laughs> and slowly but surely crawled my way out of it and then crawled my way up a mountain and then stood on top of that mountain and like looked down at what I had done. And so now I'm fearless when it comes to failure. I have zero fears around failure, not because I don't think it's going to happen to me. I think it's going to happen to me repeatedly. Like I think it's, and now I like welcome it as part of like, I, I take chances, I move towards things and not all of it's going to work out. And I'm not afraid of that. Why? Because a, I'm really good at making money. So if I lose all the money that I've made so far, if, you know, if I, if I take a couple of risks that don't work out for me, then it's fine. I'm going to figure something else out. Yeah. I'm like, I have, I have, you said this in one of our earlier podcasts. You're like, you did it once. So doing it again should make a whole lot easier. I, I mean, think about, I mean, Tyler, really think about it. Totally. If, and, and, you know, I, I remember like, I remember emptying out all of the pocketbooks for the change. Mm -hmm. I remember like eating Panda Express. I remember calling my friends and lying to them and telling them that I had left my wallet in a cab and that I needed to borrow $40 until the bank mailed me my new debit card. And then I would like figure it out and yeah. I'd give them their $40 back. Like it was, it was, it was dire straits. Yeah. But this is the thing. It's like, I look, I think now and I'm like, and I'm like, oh my, everything that I know now, like I made it through that and I was young and dumb. Mm -hmm. And I, I think today, like, oh, it, if you're not, if you're not having some some level of failure in any arena, your business or your personal, you're playing it too safe. You're not, in, in exactly. my opinion, you, 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 you said something and I can't remember if you said it yesterday or if it was in a dinner or whatever, when we were together and you said you're either growing or you're decaying. Mm -hmm. <gasps> oh my gosh. That was so rich. I love that because, and I, and I, and I love the word decay. Mm-hmm. Because it reminds me of the dead squirrel. You know, the road is paved with dead squirrels that failed to make a decision. Don't be roadkill. How many dead squirrels have you seen like on the road and they're like decaying? So it's not only did you fail to make a decision and you got run over, but then you literally laid there on the hot Georgia asphalt and like got eaten by flies. And that's why I think that it's so critical to grow and learn. Exactly. And talking about fear, I think part of the reason that people are slow to make decisions is because they're afraid they're making the wrong decisions. They're afraid of making the wrong decisions and failing. And I heard this quote, uh, bad decisions made quickly are way more valuable than indecision over a period, a long period of time. Absolutely. Because you learn from them and it's quick. And like, if you make a quick decision, I think they were going on to say that they try to make all of their big decisions in under 15 minutes. And 
you know, and she was just like, because if it's wrong, she was like, I'll learn and I won't make that decision again. You know, then I'll know. Yeah. Because a lot of times you're not going to know until you did it. Exactly. You know, I mean, it's funny because I've been with different brokerages throughout my 30 year career. And I think about like, you know, the first brokerage I was with, I, I, I went to them because like they were the only person that would hire me. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I had an opportunity very quickly after I got into the business to go work with Jenny Pruitt, who was like the matriarch of Atlanta real estate and the first woman owned, woman, woman led real estate business, real estate company. And I learned so much. And had I been afraid, I mean, I had been, I mean, I'd been in the business maybe six months, five or six months, and I make the change to go to Jenny Pruitt. And it was one of the best business decisions I ever made. And I I mean, I look back, people always talk about, oh, she's a jumper or, you know, they've been with every different brokerage. You know, for me, I I look at it like I have firsthand knowledge of how a lot of brokerages work. And, um, you know, we're talking a little bit about change and the next right step and fear and how you can be paralyzed by fear. And again, I, I don't, I don't care what anybody says that squirrel in the middle of the road that is paralyzed with fear. That is a recipe for disaster for that squirrel. It is. And did I tell you about the squirrel, the dead squirrel in the garage? No. So no lie. The garage starts smelling here at this house. And I'm like, what the fuck is that smell? Like, what is that? And I, I and then all of a sudden there's flies. I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> and so sure like, enough. This is not good for the brand. No. And I'm like, <laughs> and I'm sure, and sure enough, it is a dead squirrel in the garage. And most people would say, okay, that is psychotic. Like, she's lost her mind. Like, why was there a squirrel in her garage? And, like, I'm sure that there's so many people people thinking so many different things. But it was such a sign to me. It was such a sign to me that my thought process is right, where I'm going, you know. And, and I just, I think that if you, I, I see... So many women, I have one friend, she's been married 30 years, and she's miserable. Mm-hmm. Miserable. I know so many of these women. She has her life, he has his. They don't sleep in the same bedroom, but they have these couple friends that they do stuff with all of the time. And he's with the men and she's with the women. He's on one side of the table. She's on the other side of the table. They have literally zero interaction. And they jab at each other when they do, like, you know, have any exchange of words. And I said to her one time, why do you stay? And she said to me, she goes, why would I leave? I have a beautiful home. I have two beautiful children. My husband makes a ton of money. I I do whatever I want to do. And people are, they'd rather be safe and comfortable than alive. Because what kind of life are you living 
that part of your soul is dead. I uh, don't know if I told you this, but you reminded me of this story. That There's two stories that came to my mind for this uh, conversation that we're having. One, and both of them took place in my backyard in Sag Harbor. But I, had, I uh, have these clients that I've become really good friends with. And I've always known that there was um, a lot of family wealth. But I never knew the source of it. And I love asking people, like, how'd you get here? How'd you do what you did? And anyway, they came and stayed with me for a weekend. And they've become very good friends of mine. We had a blast that weekend. And one night I was sitting on the back porch. And I just asked, I was like, what did your, what did your family do? And he started laughing. He goes, which time? <laughs> and I was like, what do you mean? And, you know, he starts telling me about how his grandfather... Um, the main source of their wealth was investing in commercial real estate. And he said, the reason I say which time is because my grandfather went from bankrupt to billionaire three different times in his life. And I was like, bankrupt to billionaire three different times. And he told me the whole story. And just for privacy reasons, I won't like share them. But I was like, oh, it's not because he's an idiot. and He makes mistakes. It's because he's fearless and he takes yeah. risks and he tries things. And whenever he fails, he accepts it. He gets back up and he does something else that's incredible. And he doesn't care what the naysayers, what the people, because, you know, a deep fear for me is like, wh what are the people who are watching going to think? Not how I'm going to yeah. feel, you know, but my fear is, is like, what is, what, what are all the real, you know, if I fail, if I crumble, if I make this big decision and it blows up in my face, what are the what are the people in the, you know, in the cheap seats, they're going to have a lot of ammunition now, you know, all these people who have been hunting me down and saying these bad things. Now they're going to get to say they were right. And what I've learned and what I have to remind myself of is that like people aren't actually thinking about you that often, you know, it, 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 your biggest fans, people who love you are thinking about you all the time and maybe really miserable, negative people might be thinking about you all the time because they're just trained that way. But the vast majority of people are thinking about you while they're watching your videos or while they're having a conversation with you. And then they are moving on with their life and focusing on whatever's in front of them in the next moment. And of course, you know, my fear is, is like, but what if all those people are like, well, you know, I don't know why it's just like, and I think it's like that deep rooted childhood, you know, got bullied fat boy trauma that is like so afraid of like what people are saying about me behind my back. And the other backyard story of Sag Harbor is, and I was thinking about it when you were talking about these women, because this was just so inspiring to me. So I threw a block party. Sorry, my foot came up off of the table, above the table. And I was like, oh shit. I think that they probably just saw my, my bare feet. Oh, you are going to get some dollars in your DMs. I was to say, let's make sure to take that clip and put it in my OnlyFans account. Okay, mm -hmm. go ahead. Sorry, honey. So uh, I had a block party, met all my neighbors in Sag Harbor. It was a huge success. And yeah. these people were amazing. And there was this woman there. I don't know how old she was. She's probably around your age. She definitely, she had adult children and was the life of the party, just glowing and gorgeous. And she, her daughter lives around the corner from me, but she was visiting also a Southern woman from Texas. And um, she had on this like fabulous dress. I don't know. I was just so drawn to her the entire party. There were probably like 30 people there, um, but I just kept finding myself wanting to go talk to her. <laughs> and so anyway, 
I'm chit chatting with her and, you know, we're just kind of like talking about our lives and, and getting caught up. And, and she's like, you know, she's like, I'm actually, uh, going through a divorce right now. And I was like, Oh, interesting. And she's like, yeah, it's been, um, she's like, it's been a really interesting process because, you know, I was, me and my husband got married when I was really young and, uh, and we had our kids really young and she's like, and we've been married for over 30 years. And she's like, and it has just been a fabulous relationship. She's like, we have had the time of our lives. We've raised these beautiful kids. She's like, we've done all these great things. And she doesn't seem to be getting emotional at this point. It almost seems like she's coming from like a place of gratitude. Um, and, and she's like, and what you know, she's like, I rented a house out here and, um, and we were celebrating a party. Uh, I want to say it was like his birthday or something. They were celebrating and she's like, and I hired a photographer to come photograph it. And she's like, and a few months later, she's like, I found out that he and that photographer had fallen in love. And, um, and that, you know, he was ending our, our relationship to go be in that one. And I was like, I was like, and you seem, and she's like, this has been going on for a few months now. And I was like, you seem so together. And, and she's like, well, she's like, I didn't do anything. <laughs> You know, she's like, she's like, I don't have anything to feel bad about. She was like, I, you know, she's like, but that said, falling in love is really fun. And, and she's like, and she's like, I remember like falling in love with him was so much fun. And I'm like, so excited to, she's like, I get to go do it again. Yeah. She's like, and I get to go like live out that side. And I mean, I'm telling you, this woman is stunning. And like, she has this great person. I'm like, I'm not worried about her at all. Like she is such a catch. But it was so, you know, because it's just how you look at the situation that you're in and the way that she was just looking at the situation that she was in. She was like, I have nothing to feel bad about. I didn't do anything wrong. And kudos to him. She's like, I'm going to go do it, too. Yeah. And like, you know, but so many uh, women and honestly, men and gay men that, you know, they stay in these relationships because they're so afraid of being alone. Right. And like listen, I'm having the time of my life. You know, I we talked about this last night. We did. We did. We won't go into like too many details, but like I am, I'm having, I'm having, so it'll be just be my luck by the way, because last time we did the podcast, I was in a relationship. By the time the podcast was airing, it was, uh, I was broken up and it was awkward. Now we've talked all about me being single and like playing the field and like going out and having these weekends, one night stands. And then of course, by the time this episode airs, I'm going to be in a relationship and somebody's going to be like, what's going on? <laughs> That's just going to be my thing. And I think that is a great spot to have a slice of pineapple. Let's do it. Let's have a slice of... Let me ask you a question. Do you think that pineapple upside down cake is like the official dessert of swingers? Oh my goodness. I hope so. Oh, didn't you say pineapple is like the swinger sign Yeah, or so the upside down pineapple is uh, the like, you know, like official uh sign of the swingers i have to tell you about the swinger house that i showed but there's a grocery store here that's on a, you know that's in an episode oh did i already talk yeah, about it yeah it was it's already aired it got a ton of uh, th honey that got a ton of engagement that was okay. a great story okay good um but there's a, a a grocery store here in atlanta and if you go on a friday night and you put the pineapple upside down in your cart 
they know that you're a swinger. Oh my God, I know where we're eating tonight. <laughs> hey, Tyler. Hey, Glenda. My name is Curtis Crotty, and I'm an agent here in Chicago. My question for you both is about scaling. At what point in your career, what was the catalyst that really exploded things? And how did you deal with the influx of leads and clients without giving up any of the service level that you're so well known for? Can't wait to hear both your take on it. You guys are killing it. Thanks. Easy answer for me. Go for it. I, I On December the 9th of 2013, I made a decision to join coaching. And I went from 38 to 68 units in one year. And I also learned how to run a much more profitable business. I learned how to hire agents and build a team and really, um, you know, expand the culture of the Glenda Baker experience through the Diamond Squad. So very, very easy. I mean, I engaged a coach. I did exactly what the coach said. I did not mess around whatever they said I did. And it literally catapulted my business to the next level. The only thing that I'll add to that, um, because I also have invested in the coach world, is that I was very much of a, I will build it, then they will come. And so I built my team and invested in the systems and operations before my business was huge. Because a, because I just trusted. I had this belief. I was like, it's going to be big. Yeah. I was like, I'm going to have a big business. And the last thing I want is for all these leads to start coming in and I'm not set up to service them and make them all have this great experience so that they keep coming back and tell all their friends to use me as well. And that's the only thing that I will say is I was, I w was thinking ahead in that regard of like, I will be ready for this when it happens. And I think I did it just in time. You know, my team was really, we struggled for like the first eight months uh, for everybody to hit their goals and start feeling financially comfortable. But then when it all happened, we were, we were soldiers. We yeah. were ready. It was like, bring it, bring it. You got more, we're ready. Yeah. Um, and I think a big mistake that people make is they get busy and they're like, oh my <gasps> God, I need this, I need this, I need this. And I'm like, I'm sorry. I, I, and I get money's a big player here, but if you have all those things when the business arrives, I mean, you hardly notice it. Yeah. And I have been in a situation mainly from when like the show happened where all of a sudden there was a huge influx of business. And I was like, it was a little bigger than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> and I, so I can tell you from firsthand experience, an influx when you're not prepared for it is a nightmare. It's yeah. a nightmare. I mean, I couldn't sleep at night. So be prepared. That's from Lion King. I you, hope we don't have to pay royalties. You, you love to sing. I think it's what the people love. I'm mad if I, you know what else is on my list of 300 things is not only to be on Broadway, but to win a Tony. Because <laughs> why not? Why not? Why not? I need you to make that list. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, wait, why did I? What? Bye. Oh, oh, wait. Like, share, subscribe, rate, review, please. <laughs>